This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity, and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Kia ora, alaikum. Welcome to another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. Uh, this week, I'm super, super excited to pick off right. Uh, left off in the last episode um, and super excited to kind of dive deeper into concepts of race and racism and hopefully add another um, thing to your anti-racist repertoire because I think this theory is actually just so mind-blowing it kind of redefines race and racism and it gets you to examine your relationship with race and racism and you know you know who you are as a person it is actually really quite mind-blowing and I just want to preface this before we like get deeper into it it's not going to make sense straight away and it will take some time to kind of sit with this and for it to make sense and for it to have significance and like how you currently understand race and racism um basically what I'm trying to say is that you're gonna need some marination time um <laughs> it, it it is a lot um so where I would like to begin is just kind of breaking down race and racism to begin with. So racism is the way, so there's kind of two ways or yeah, two levels of thinking about racism. You can think about it from an individual perspective and you can think about it from a societal perspective, but whatever perspective you're looking at it, it's this idea of like an inferior race right so from an individual point of view um you are othering um another race and because you're othering um that other race it provides oh this othering and framed in a negative way right so if someone is of a different race to you um you know that's not a good thing you are better they are below you um, and then that kind of thinking is a structure um, for behavior like listen, um, operating off stereotypes um, and you know being showing mean unkind derogatory behavior and then from a societal point of view this is like where our more systemic structural racism comes in and it's when not only does an individual think this but our systems um continually disenfranchise and um degrade uh, the other race whoever is deemed the other um i think you know it's different in in different countries um and different cultures who is the other um but is there is that sense of othering and so there's race and um there's racism from the individual and societal point of view and then you think about race right and when we think about race it's like a group of people um 
who have a shared identity. But here's the first thing that I'd kind of like to point out. And we kind of talk about race or the way that it's commonly used. Um, race and racism are used in a inter-exchangeable way, but actually they're two very different things. And one came before the other. And so, you know, racism was there first. And then the idea or concept of race followed right because how are you going to other another group of people where is this othering coming from there if you're going to other someone there needs to be labels and labels that are different to each other and so race is not the cause of racism and I think that is how it's commonly understood and comp like the way that it's used race is not the cause of racism but it's actually the other way around racism is the cause of race because there needs to be a justification of the horrid actions that are allowed um, under racism um, there needs to be people put into one group and um, other people put into another group um, because when you have this viewpoint that you know one is better than the other that leads to some horrible derogatory dehumanizing behavior and it needs to be justified somehow and how is it justified um, through race and yeah I think it is it's quite interesting and then another thing that I kind of want to dive deeper into um, before we kind of talk about the theory of racelessness is speaking more about race and so um, this is going to sound horribly academic but uh, and lots of ism, isms words are going to be coming up but I think it's really important to kind of carve time and and talk about it um, and I think it's a really good structure to kind of reflect on, you know, what camp do you think you um, belong in when talking about race? And so there are the six philosophies of race. And this is actually also really important to explain because this is where the theory of racelessness comes from. This is the basis of this theory. And it's the six philosophies of race. And the six philosophies of race can, can be um, broken down into two further categories. So the first three is, you know, what a person thinks race is. And then the last three categories is what we believe should be done with race. And so the first three is what we think race is. Um, and the first category is naturalism. And so this is um, the school of thought where race has a biological basis. And um, this the differences between us and the fact that some races are better than the other are all from a biological perspective. The next category is social constructionism. And this is, yes, race exists and uh, it's a social construct, construct, sorry, not something that is... Um, has any biological basis but it's something that we as humans have made up we are the ones who have said you know one is better than the other this is what each race looks like these are the the definitions and here are the boundaries blah 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 we've we've made it all up and then the last one is skeptic 
skepticism oh my goodness why do i why do i struggle saying that word skepticism and um people who um relate to skepticism um believe that society imagines race and it actually it isn't a thing and all the things that we say um defines race are actually other things we're talking about cultural things um you know we're talking about nationality ethnicity um rather than race itself so how can race be a thing when it's actually other things um we don't have any kind of definition or examples of race because we're actually talking about things like culture and nationality and ethnicity um so race isn't a thing so those three categories um uh different ways that uh someone can well someone thinks what race is and then the last three categories are what we believe should be done with race and so conservatism is um you know the idea that race should be conserved um we should hold on to it um reconstructionism this is a category that kind of makes me giggle giggle a little bit because it's like um people who are like cautiously optimistic and like trying to make the most of the situation like you know what race is here to stay but let's see what we can do with it how can we switch this up and so reconstruction reconstructionism is about evaluating our relationship with race um to therefore change the role that um race plays in our societies and then the last category is um I'm, I just already know that I'm going to struggle to say this um eliminativism I'm not even going to try to say that again but um basically it is to eliminate race like race has just got to go you're done <laughs> we are we're done with race um and what we're actually and kind of similar to the conversations that I ha- I was having around skepticism 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 <laughs> skepticism um that we're misnaming things right so we're not actually talking about race um all this race language and ideology we're misnaming it and it's just racism masquerading itself as race and um the idea with the philosophies of race is that uh we each hold a minimum of these two and so like for example people who tend to be uh, who come under naturalism um are also quite conservative people who are, are skeptics of race um often tend to be the ones who say we also need to eliminate it so you can see the links between you know what a person thinks races and therefore how um we should um handle it or how what role race should play and what should be done with it there's there's a relationship there and these philosophies i'm and as i was like preparing for this episode i was like hmm like i wonder which one i would come under and i think i'm still a little bit 
a little bit unsure about that. Um, and I kind of explain a little bit later, but when you're kind of thinking about all of the stuff, especially for the first time, it is quite confronting because you have to think about, um, you know, who you are and, um, yeah, who you are and, and what you believe, basically. Um, because I honestly hadn't even thought about race like this until I came across this theory. And so this philosophies of race is where this theory comes from. And so the theory of racelessness is looking at the conditions of human outside and before racism. And, you know, this... It's a simple sentence, but it's kind of saying a lot. So the first thing that I kind of pick up on is that it's saying that we were humans before race was constructed. And that still applies now. We're still humans outside of our racialized categories. And the fact that the theory of racelessness like separates human from race I think is also really really interesting um because you know I think naively when I was younger I kind of thought they were the same thing um and even thinking about the different philosophies of race like I can definitely see how I thought like er much earlier on in my life like I think at some point, I probably would have identified as a naturalist. Um, I definitely thought, you know, like race is a biological thing. Um, like we are all obviously different. Um, but now I am unsure. And that's fine. I'm still learning. I'm still processing. And so the theory of racelessness is encouraging people to look evaluate be critical and engage with the human condition and the various conditions of humans outside their racialized categories and this kind of sounds like it makes no sense but if we think like if we go back to where we started at the beginning of this episode and we were saying that uh, race is not the cause of racism but actually racism is the cause um, of race when we think about race um, is uh, if we think like the way that we normally talk about race is race and racism more or less the same thing but the way that we're talking about race actually is just solving the symptoms and not the disease itself which is racism and i think with the theory of racelessness it encourages encourages us to talk about the human condition outside of those racialized categories so we are in a bit of better position to talk about racism as itself and this kind of seems insane but you know we talk the way that we have um, spoken about race and um, engaged with race, it, now it's gotten to the point where racism is masquerading as race. And I just to break it down a little bit more, I just want to talk about the metaphors that this relationship has built now, right? Like this 
when we talk about being white, it has now associated or is like talking about, you know, having privilege, uh, having power, um, white fragility, uh, white supremacy, more importantly. Um, and when we're talking about being black, it is uh, synonymous with being a victim of racism, having less access to power and privilege. And so when you when you talk about these um, metaphors, it's actually racism camouflaging itself as race. And that is a really, really slippery slope because now when we're talking about race, um, it confirms people's presumptions about a particular race and it actually erases the um, ability to just directly talk about racism because racism and race have become so intertwined but when we actually think about like the history of those two words uh, racism is the root cause and to justify that racism the concept of race then came about but we have become so attached to race um we haven't been able to separate the two and now when we're talking about racism and how to be anti-racist we're not having the deep enough conversations that allow people to treat the disease and not the sim symptom like we don't want to be talking about racism in a way where we're just putting a plaster on it and not being critical about it and really talking about um who we are as humans outside of these racialized categories and um i think i really struggled um with this theory or i found this theory really confronting um because it felt like it was a direct attack on my identity and a direct threat on my identity. Um, you know, it just felt like we're just chucking, we're just chucking the baby and the baby water out, you know? It just feels like you're losing a lot. And, um, and I think the reason why I felt this resistance is it's actually taken me so long to be okay with my blackness. I mean, growing up in a very white Aotearoa, um, you're, it's definitely not easy to feel okay as you are. Um, and... I so desperately wanted to be white when I was younger. And so to get to the point where I like embrace my blackness and I, and I absolutely love it and I'm so proud of it. And then to come across this theory of racelessness, it's like, um, it definitely, it felt like a direct attack. And then I had to take a second. I was like, whoa, 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 Mal, like, settle down um you you actually need to settle down um your being who you are is actually so much more than your race and when i really thought about like what my 
my blackness meant. It's really complex and all these other things like culture, nationality, ethnicity came up. I mean, there are a lot of people in the black community who kind of gatekeep what blackness can look like and what it can be. And when you think about it like that, like there is no like one way to be black like you know there are all these stereotypes like yeah we can all like we can apparently all dance or you know we like our food to be seasoned blah 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 like what actually is like blackness and what is black culture and there are even like i like out in the term blackness it's actually quite broad because you know i have African parents and that is like a totally different um conversation totally different culture um to like you know the African-American culture which is what often people refer to when they're talking about like being black or blackness and that was really apparent when the Black Lives Matter movement um like uh, those all of those conversations just took over the world last year um and you could see how you know being black as a race that idea was really confronted because the assumption there was all of us like all of and this is all of us who identify with being black all had the same experience or the same identity um which is not true there are a lot of things in the african-american um culture and history i will never understand as a somali person like for example slavery and the reason why i bring up slavery is because you know descendants you know those who had slavery in their ancestry um have very much proud of their blackness you know it persisted the horrible horrible um condition that is slavery and you know that racial identity was very much held onto and became this huge revolution and like decolonization and um anti-racism you know like things like uh black power um and to think that race is to be taken away. And I can't remember who said this quote, but there is this um, really interesting quote, which I, I think really relates to this whole corridor, which is, you know, I love being black, but not so much. I will blind myself. And I think in the black community, and you know what, even in my, like just the Somali community as well, like, we love it so much that we have definitely blinded ourselves. And, you know, wherever you lie in, like, the racist versus anti-racist spectrum, like, if you are so blinded by your race, that is a restricting thing. Because, again, you've gotten to the point where you have allowed yourself to 
you're not able to kind of tangle the symptom from the disease and the conversations we need to be having is actually about the disease itself which is racism and um I think if we are able to evaluate our relationship to race and therefore, you know, the role race plays in our lives and plays in our in our societies and our communities, that is going to be very mind-blowing. And I know this is just a really brief introduction into the theory of racelessness and I just want to um, clarify a common misconception. Theory of racelessness is not the same as colorblind like race or being like race colorblind and I think with um, race colorblind I just was nearly about to attach an ism to it and just make up a whole new world word um, but the thing with that is that it's saying I do not see race, therefore I do not see racism or any of those um, issues and that is not correct. Theory of racelessness is not saying that racism doesn't exist. What it's actually saying is that we need to separate the idea of race and racism um, and looking at racism from a de-racialized framework um, because we are so persistent onto upholding these ideas of race but at the cost of not actually talking about race, uh, racism um, and I think the theory of racelessness is really good at calling out the camouflaging of racism um, and I think that will be a huge barrier because there are a lot of people institutions organizations um, that want to participate or actually do um, participate in anti-racist um, efforts but actually we need to reevaluate our relationship with race so we can stop that race, racism, um, camouflaging that often happens. And so, yeah, I think this is a really um, awesome, awesome theory. And if you want to learn more, I would um, 1,010% recommend listening to Dr. Sheena Mason's podcast Free Your Mind um, because she dives deeper into the theory of racelessness and the different ways that it can show up and how you can um, implement it as well so um, yes I would 10 out of 10 recommend the theory of racelessness um, but it's been really interesting for me diving deep into this theory and just yeah observing how I view race because I absolutely um, have gotten the two confused and uh, have enabled racism to camouflage itself and absolutely not challenge that at, 
at all. And I think it's been really interesting for me just, um, again, reevaluating my identity and my identity in relation to, um, I know previously I would have said identity in relation to my race, but now I would say identity in relation to my ethnicity and to my culture um, and to my nationality. So, you know, going back to those six philosophies of race, I'm not too sure. I think I hover in between a social constructionism um, and skeptic, um, and I'm kind of hovering in between a reconstructionist and um you know taking the elimination route when it comes to race I think I'm in between but of course it will it will most likely change as I keep exploring and kind of understanding this concept more and speaking of race I just wanted to take some some time to kind of talk about the protests that have been happening and um, all of this other really out of whack stuff that's just been happening in New Zealand recently and it just has made me um, think about like who actually are we as a country Um, because on March the 15th 2019 we were very adamant that this is not us Um, but then there are all these things that have been happening recently that I'm just like um, well, who the bloody hell are we? Um, like, you know, I saw screenshots of Instagram and it was, um, this Airbnb in Christchurch and, um, the rules, like it was like a A4 piece of paper with some rules of the Airbnb and, um, one of the rules was, you know, there is no Te Reo Māori to be speaking, um, spoken, sorry, there, uh, do not refer to this country as uh, Aotearoa, it should be referred to as New Zealand. Um, and then uh, saw photos of farmers that were protesting, um, some farmers, Not I'm not painting all farmers out to be like this, but you know, there were images of farmers um, protesting. Um, not only was it really racist, um, but also quite sexist as well, the way that they were asking for, you know, Jacinda to to leave Parliament. And, um, you know, I saw signs of, you know, see, this is what happens when um, you let women rule. Um, and the fact that there were the protests recently in, in government and in front of the parliament building and you know and just even the fact that people are really angry that um people speak um te reo maori and people saying all sorts of comments like you know this is new zealand and what you know this is too much um and it just makes my head hurt a little bit to be honest because when something like March the 15th happened and it was so horrifying and shocking and we were all out here and we were all very quick to say well you know this is not us or you know they are us and a couple years down the track now and all of this is kind of bubbling up and I feel like 
when there is tension across the country, because I think everything with COVID has brought up a lot of tensions, especially with the um, vaccine mandates, it has brought up all of these tensions. And I feel like when these tensions are at the forefront, you know, all of these other ideologies that are kind of under the skin kind of erupt and come to the surface as well like when I think about the farmers protest like there was no um what's the word I'm looking for there was like not that there was no need for it but it just seemed like it came out of nowhere and then even with the protests that um happened in Wellington uh just recently what was the purpose because there were honestly signs for all sorts of things and you know saw some really racist things and sexist things and really right-wing ideologies that were represented um you know there were trump flags like it just felt like it was a hot mess in terms of who was protesting and what were they protesting for I mean, it just felt like it was a mix of everyone and everyone kind of piggybacked on that. And yeah, like when there are tensions and everything under the surface kind of comes um, comes to head as well. And, you know, if you're out there thinking that uh, New Zealand is not a racist country, well, you know, t- it's time to wake up because racism is very much um still present in New Zealand and I think you know it's a bit more insidious because now it's not so overt and it's more tied up in our systems and in our structures um And, you know, why is it that race is still so hard to talk about in New Zealand? Um, I was having this conversation the other day um, with my friend. She is um, a teacher or trained to be a teacher. And, you know, she was saying in her class that the students were so aware about matters when it comes to um, gender and sexual identity but we're very ignorant, um, you know, whether they were conscious of it or not, you know, very ignorant when it came to matters of race. And, you know, she was, we were just kind of talking about the fact that, you know, all of these issues have been um, persisting for such a long time. And if we were more intersectional about our activism, you know, it would, all of these conversations would be, would be, um, brought to light. Um, but she was just saying, you know, it was so interesting because all of these kids were so aware and so knowledgeable on matters when it came to, um, gender and sexuality and, um, but actually it was, when it came to talking about race, well, first of all, race wasn't even mentioned, um, you know, these, like, racist ideologies were still being, um, upheld, the 
anti-racist conversations were just not happening at all and you know that's just one small example and I think a really niche example right because when you are young and you're finding you're trying to find out who you are like your your gender and sexual identity is a really big deal especially at that age you know when you're at high school um you know you're starting to like have your first partners and starting to like have your first loves and all these sorts of things like you're gender and sexual identity are deeply deeply personal um so you know i'm will take that with a pinch of salt but you know when my friend mentioned that to me it actually has made me realize that it's something that i have noticed quite a lot in like very different spaces as well um it still comes to race it's still so hard to talk about um it is still really hard to talk about it seems like our collective understanding of how to be anti-racist and not even just like the knowledge and the how-to of of how to be anti-racist like people's investment like people's um understanding for why we need change and why these kind of conversations and changes need to happen it's just not there which i think um so interesting because of course like we don't live life in these isolated identities right it's lived from our multiple axes you know it's our culture it's our ethnicity it's our gender identity our sexual identity all of these sorts of things um and we that is where we operate from we don't operate from just one access right and um it's interesting that we are not intersectionalist about our activism and our corridor more because um yeah race is still so hard to talk about but here we are in in 2021 um and it just it almost kind of feels like we haven't progressed like I was um I watched this documentary last year um and it was a documentary talking about racism in Aotearoa in the 1980s so um you know I can't remember what was happening at that time I think it might have been the spring box tour um but everything that was um said in that documentary people literally say the same thing now and it's like 30 years 30 40 years down the track and we're still saying the exact same thing now which i i honestly is a little bit mind-blowing so like in preparation for this episode i was trying to think of like reasons why why is it that race is so hard to talk about um here in Aotearoa and I think the first reason is we think it's a problem of the past you know we um don't have um anything super obvious um like segregation um you know I think there's this idea that 
it's like an American problem now because it's not as overt um, and obvious as it is in America. Um, and it's, you know, for we, whether we think it's an American problem or an old problem, um, it's just not relevant anymore. So why do we, so there's no need to talk about it because it's just not relevant. Um, another reason why I think race is so hard to talk about, it's a really, that empathy is hard um, compared to um, other issues. And I, just to give an example of this, and I think this is, and this is going to be really political, but whatever, it is <laughs> It is my show, and this is my two cents, and I can say what I want. Um, but I think that's the reason why um, the end-of-life bill passed, or the referendum passed, um, but the cannabis one didn't. And I think it's a lot easier to foster that sense of high-level empathy. Like, not the low-level empathy where there's, like, a sense of... Um, you know, pity, like that high level empathy where, cause you, it's a situation where you can imagine yourself or your family members or your friends in that situation, right? Like if you or your fr family or your friend were in a position where they were in pain and they just wanted to, you know, peacefully pass on, um, you know, it's a lot easier to, think in those shoes and I think a lot of people can think about well what if I was in this position what would I want to do you know I would want to peacefully pass on pass on etc but when we're but when you're talking about um cannabis the cannabis referendum that sense of being able to put yourself in those shoes um is not there because um if you don't um, consume cannabis you're never going to put yourself in those shoes and be like well these are the racist implications or hey, this is what it means this is what it looks like blah 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 like it's a lot harder to do that and I think that um, uh, like the fact that it's harder to build up that empathy is a lot harder um when talking about matters that are related to racism and actually now that I'm thinking back at like not my wee script but my notes to talk about for this episode I actually want to reword this prompt because I've just put bullet point why is race so hard to talk about but I actually want to say why is racism so hard to talk about, especially after all that corridor with the theory of racelessness. Um, but I think that's why it's so hard to talk about racism, because if you're not experiencing it, there's just no way, or it's a lot harder to put yourself in those shoes. And, um, you know, I think there are ways to, to foster that empathy that doesn't require you to put yourself in those shoes because to be honest if you're if you don't have lived experience you're like never ever really going to 1010 percent understand that is impossible but i think you know there are other routes to empathy that we just don't talk about enough um and we don't encourage enough um and because those routes aren't um highlighted you know the often the way that we think about empathy is like imagine if 
if you had to walk in their shoes well when we're talking about racism if you don't experience it, it's really hard to um, imagine that but you know it's very easy to imagine yourself in the shoes of well if I was um, chronically ill and always in pain would I want to would um, passing peacefully on my own terms be something that I would want to consider and I think the answer for that is yes it is easier to empathize but there are other routes to empathy that we just we don't talk about enough and um, another reason why racism is so hard to talk about is you know most of the well there is a lot of that individual racism um, going on in New Zealand that we um, we see we hear about um but a lot of it is also this like structural systemic racism and that's a lot harder to call forward and change because it's not just trying to get through to a person and challenge them to reevaluate um what it was that they said or did um but it's calling for a whole system and systems are always slow to change um and i think this reason kind of couples up with the fact that people consider it to be an irrelevant discussion right because most of that individual one-on-one racism isn't as obvious um it's the quieter systemic racism that we see um more of these days um and that's a lot harder like even um I know I keep just using this example but like the fact that we if it's like um presenters um speaking more in Tero Māori on national television and having like you know um to wiki or Tero Māori and those efforts are pushed back against like and that is just even a small systemic change and those efforts are just so pushed back um it's a lot harder it's a lot harder to change but I think the biggest reason like this is the last reason I could think of but I think there is a lot more that you could add um to this list um the last reason is entitlement and um and I think the dangerous thing about entitlement is that it blinds you absolutely blinds you um from seeing the world seeing the issue at hand in a different way um you know when you're entitled all you ever see is something as a threat like my like before when I was talking about how I thought the theory of racelessness was um the theory of racelessness was a threat to like my blackness that was me sitting in my entitlement like of seeing race in this one narrow way and not challenging myself to think about it in another way but literally my entitlement blinded me I never really thought about race in a different way and so when I did initially approach the theory of racelessness it was a threat to me and when you think about all of this whack ass behavior that I was describing before, um, you know, that person or whoever it was, or it could have been a group of people who wrote those Airbnb rules, 
for whatever reason, or there could be lots of different reasons, um, looked at um, Te Reo Māori and sees it as a threat to this, like, white New Zealand as opposed to this um, Aotearoa, right? Like, for whatever reason, they can't see themselves existing in um, this Aotearoa, so stick to... New Zealand and stick to English um, but entitlement definitely blinds you and blinds you to the point where you just see everything as a threat um, and I think you cannot break yourself from that level of ignorance until you kind of revise who you are as a person and I kind of just wanted to um, bring up this poem um, that I read the other day and I was like oh, this is so perfect and really ties into this um, entitlement it on how do you um, check your entitlement. And it's from um, a collection of poems, and please, someone correct me if I'm saying this wrong, but Tātai Fetu, and it's um, seven um, Māori women poets, and it's in translation, so you can read the poem both in Te Reo Māori and also in English. Um, and Marea uh, Rakuraku, Rakuraku, yep, I, th- I think I'm saying that correctly, but again, please correct me if I'm saying it wrong. Um, she wrote this poem and it's called When Does It Start? It's not waving a flag, holding a banner, knowing what post-colonial theory means and when to use it memorizing quotes and lining them up like soldiers that are sent out in ways of attacks. It's not being polite, remaining open, listening fairly, vigilantly assessing your motivation, rewriting your carefully worded response, marveling how the person who has cornered you online, at a party, work do, or rugby game, is not hearing how every word they are saying is offensive and that they may as well be slicing through your heart with the intensity of a scythe. I'm not sure how to say that word. Clearing long grass. It isn't realising dressing up racist rhetoric in flash language is still just race, racist rhetoric in flash language and sniffing that out in the first. I'm not racist, but... It isn't recognizing white privilege and entitlement, functioning under white privilege and entitlement, loving under white privilege and entitlement. It doesn't start with the huge ducking disappointment when a brown brother is worse than the worst redneck you've ever encountered in your life. It doesn't start by standing up for your iwi, people, culture, colleague, son, daughter, Lover, Mrs. Koro, Nan, Kazi, Animals, Papatuanuku, or even yourself. It starts with that first step from the margins into the glare of light and opening your mouth that started when the idea of you was born and took seed. That started when the idea of you was born and took seed. That started when the idea of you was born that started with the idea of you and um i just i absolutely adore this poem and the fact that it's titled like when does it start and 
the last two lines are that started with the idea of you and it's so important when it comes to this like anti-racist journey just to begin with yourself Um, because if you don't begin with yourself you'll never be able to look at your sense of entitlement and and you know what I don't mean to say entitlement in a way where it confers that like you're a um, less than ideal person because that is that is incorrect Um, we all are entitled in one way shape or form and outside of talking about racism um, there are many different ways that someone can be entitled and um, I think I'm just speaking widely and generally now but if you never um, look at yourself and you're not able to look at your entitlement where does it come from what does it look like how does it show up um you'll always be kept in the dark and you will always be blinded by your own privilege if you're not checking your entitlement and you know entitlement gives you this false security that you're um at the top of this tower and you're always going to be safe and anything that comes your way is a threat to the safety um and what we actually need is for people to come down from that tower to meet you on ground level and to have a conversation and for you to leave all of that security um behind you and it's not even real security it's false security um to leave that behind you so you can actually come to your own decisions and kind of assess the land ahead of you um, without looking from the view that's right at the top of that tower. I'm sorry, I've really just run, (laughs) run with that metaphor. But um, if you're trying to be anti-whatever or just trying to be an open person and that shows up in your relationships, like you just need to check your entitlement like I've been I really keep it quite vulnerable in this podcast don't I um but I've just been going through some stuff with family recently right and um my capacity to always be kind and patient and understanding is limited and you know I'm starting to like look at my entitlement but it's been so interesting as I've been assessing my sense of entitlement how my capacity to love and to understand has just is growing and now I'm just like wow who knows you know I always thought that and I think there are some cases where my patience and understanding and love is um limited um but specifically in in all the stuff that I've been going through my family like I think the possibility of there being no bounds to this love and to this understanding because I'm starting to do the work on my entitlement honestly mind-blowing um so I think I'll just end the episode on that check start exploring your entitlement it will be uncomfortable but it's so worth it and if you want to 
um, check more about the theory of racelessness, just give it a cheeky Google, um, but also listen to the podcast um, with Dr. Sheena Mason. It's called Free Your Mind. Um, thank you so much for this wonderful corridor and catch you for the next episode. Thank you for tuning in into another episode of Headscarfs and Good Yarns. To keep spinning the yarns, let us know your thoughts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Headscarfs and Good Yarns or email us at headscarfsandgoodyarn at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.